It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who. In light, light 'em up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw, and today is. June the twenty ninth, two thousand and four, and yeah, it's the best of times and the worst of times. The age of wisdom, the age of foolishness, the epoch of belief, the epoch of incredulity, the season of light, the season of darkness, the spring of hope, the winter of despair. Oh yes, talk, talk, talk. Words, words, words. Thank goodness for old Charlie Dickens, that old Victorian. Hypocrite! I've been pondering, pondering duality lately. Yes, duality. Yes, <laughs> and the character of our political leaders. Aha!、Uh-huh. Uh, lately, I've been wearing odd earrings just to keep reminding myself that two truths can exist at the same time. Old Ariana Huffington—that's a contradiction.、Uh, just the woman herself. She pointed out that. While Bill Clinton's、uh, autobiography、uh, reveals a man struggling with his inner demons, struggling within himself with his、uh, dark and light, yin and yang, his wise angel up against his undisciplined and selfish impulses,、uh, the man who is presently sitting in the Oval Office does not look within, does not examine his own feelings, motives, choices for Bush. The evil is without.、Uh, for some of us, of course,、um, heaven and hell is myself is is、uh, right there in the mind, in the soul. You know, it's a struggle always.、Uh, oh, I keep talking about getting in touch with my inner terrorist or my inner—I call her my inner Nazi. You know, the goose girl that goes goose stepping all over other people.、Uh, Carl Jung explained to us that certain individuals project their、uh, dark side. I don't like the word evil; it doesn't mean anything.、Um, their sadistic side, let's call it.、Uh, they project that out onto others. Jung called this the shadow. You remember? For George Bush, the evil one is out there. It's Osama or Saddam or you know a terrorist. Anyway. Someone、uh, who doesn't see the world through his eyes, you know. Bush comes right out and he says simply, "The America you see in those pictures doesn't exist." <laughs> Called denial.、Uh, he's referring to the pictures uh, that uh, we saw during the prison scandal coming from Iraq. Uh, I think of William Buckley's statement about Ronald Reagan that Reagan simply believed that what was good for him was good for everyone. Now you know any good psychologist or psychiatrist 
will explain that, you know, this is the, the old mindset, the self-absorbed, feudal mindset. Said Gertrude Stein used to say, she used to say, uh, feudal days were the days of the fathers, meaning the authoritarians. Um, there can be all sorts of fathers, but, uh, we hear a lot these days about the authoritarian father model as opposed to the nurturing father model. The nurturing fella is the modern mind, the one that has learned to live with ambiguity and even with democracy, live with contradictions, even if the contradictions are within yourself. Now, the pundits on the mass media keep joking about Bill Clinton's intensive work in therapy. Uh, they seem to see it as effeminate, you know, uh, uh, as a kind of weakness. Apparently, the examined life is a threat to the uh, established order. Uh, <laughs> it's, what is it? Uh, it's a test of manhood. It's a test of strength, you know, never to change, to hold fast. These are the one idea men, of course, um, most artists or free thinkers see not with the one eye, not, you know, not with left ideology or right eye, uh, but they have this depth vision they see with both eyes. Uh, they can actually uh, deal with uh, contradictions. The test of first-rate intelligence is the ability to hold the opposing ideas or contrasting truths in the mind and continue to function, yes. A politician has to be able to do this. Uh, well, my idea of a politician, uh, if he doesn't, he becomes uh, a monomaniac, a messianic uh, male who talks to God and rules a nuclear nation. Man in disorder has to think. He has to dance, you know. He has to, um, what is that, have what one pundit called situational ethics. The absolutists... Uh, these, well, any absolute is a sign of fear. It's, I think, comes from a need to make order out of chaos. Uh, and basically, it is a frightened uh, response. It's the control freaks, you know. There is an intriguing profile of Ronald Reagan in the current issue of The New Yorker. That's the 28 June issue. It discusses this in great depth. It's by Edmund Morris. Run out and get the 28 June issue of The New Yorker, if you get a chance. Uh, it's the one with a picture of Ray Charles on the $10 bill instead of Ronald Reagan. Yes, the cover has a big smiling picture of Ray Charles on the $10 bill. And inside you will find uh, an astonishing array. Let's see, there's a review of Michael Moore's... Um, Movie Fahrenheit 9-11 by David Denby. That's the, this year's most important film. And um, so far. And uh, let's see. There's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, it's called Super Moderate. Mm -hmm. That's by Connie Brook. That's an echo, yes. Uh, echo, a rerun of the Reagan piece. Uh, what is that uh, joke they keep? Telling these days, yes, history doesn't always repeat itself, but it certainly rhymes. <laughs> yes, uh, Ronald Reagan is definitely uh, not Arnold Schwarzenegger, but there are these, there are these parallels. Uh, 
Hendrik Hertzberg nails Ronald Reagan in the Talk of the Town piece uh, in the same issue. This is 28 June. It's a, a stunner here. I must read you the uh, Hertzberg paragraph, I think. This is, this is the one in one paragraph that makes it. If I were back being a high school English teacher, I think I'd just write this one on the board. It's a quote from uh, Hendrik Hertzberg in 28 June New Yorker magazine. Quote, Ronald Reagan's domestic policies, like those of the current incumbent, were almost uniformly appalling. He shifted the tax burden downward, exacerbated economic inequality, created gigantic deficits, undermined environmental, civil rights, and labor protections, neglected the AIDS epidemic, packed the courts with reactionary mediocrities. He made callousness respectable. His foreign policy included such unsavory features as tolerating death squad activity in El Salvador and Guatemala, arming Islamist extremists in Central Asia, cozying up to the apartheid regime in South Africa and the Saddam Hussein regime in Iraq, and, of course, secretly providing weapons to the Iran mullahs in exchange for hostages and for cash that was then used to finance an unlawful war in Nicaragua. Reagan was a pretty poor president in a lot of ways. Uh, and then Hertzberg goes on to point out... <laughs> That, that he will still be remembered well because uh, he pulled it off. I was thinking this morning that, uh, yes, the man who smiles, the the villain who smiles and smiles, uh, can usually get away with it. Unfortunately, the present, well, the present president, uh, his character came out of the closet almost at once. I don't think very many people, a few people, I think, were impressed for about 20 minutes after his speech, after uh, 9-11, but uh, that was his moment, you know, the the warrior president thing. Um, but uh, uh, I don't think he's going to be able to pull it off. Reagan uh, not only pulled it off, but uh, his image now uh, will go down in history. Yes, the man who ended the Cold War, um, actually Hertzberg, Gives him credit. He says, Reagan got out of Gorbachev's way. Okay. And for that, he will be remembered in a positive light. Okay. Uh, you buy that? Uh, in any case, um, all I remember is that Reagan funded the Contras and that he sent a pair of gold spurs to Saddam Hussein. Yes. <laughs> and what is it? Ruined the lives of... Many young people I know um, certainly poisoned the uh, economic environment for my children and through unemployed and disabled citizens and children. Americans, yes, threw them into the streets to make them independent. Yes, it would be good for them, he said. Mm -hmm. The Edmund Morris article uh, says that um, uh, Reagan was myopic. Actually, yes, from very early youth, he couldn't see. And increasingly deaf with the years. This is an extended profile. I do check it out. It's called uh, The Unknowable. Uh, he describes Reagan as having an essentially thespian nature. That is, he was an actor. He only appeared to be a warm man. I mean, that was his reputation, yes. Uh, what was it? Oscar Wilde used to say, 
He looked everything and was nothing. In any case, he found the role of president absolutely delightful. Uh, here's a quote from Reagan. Uh, the author, Edmund Morris, was in the Oval Office with the president, and uh, the president was grinning at the writer of the article, and he said to him, Reagan said, I've got the biggest theater in the world right here. This was a guy, you know, who never proposed anything. He just, you know, he just played his role. <laughs> Reagan apparently learned his uh, funny stories as a young actor in the Warner Brothers commissary where he sat with the, the Jewish comedians, yes, at the fast table, yes. He studied the motor mouths, George Burns and Jack Benny and them. Uh, I remember in his early years, uh, I realized uh, this hold that he had uh, on the popular imagination, and I was confused. Uh, I saw how he encouraged the good old boys and made them feel good about themselves. So many people said that at his memorial. I thought, yes, it's true. He made callousness respectable. Uh, yes, actually, he made white male supremacy uh, respectable again. Uh, I thought, what is this, government by anecdote? I don't believe that any journalist was ever able to locate Reagan's hypothetical welfare queen. You remember, um, it was this woman he kept describing, she that was spending all our resources. Uh, he wanted to get rid of uh, 50 years of federal paternalism. My God, you know, these people have to get out there and scratch. Eat each other up. <laughs> now, I got a chill reading the piece on Arnold Schwarzenegger, the one called Super Moderate, in the same issue of the New Yorker, because there are all these parallels, you know, the same, only different, change costumes and styles. Arnold says he wants to be king of the earth. He admires uh, the people who are listened to, you know, like like Hitler. He, he says he doesn't admire what, what Hitler did, but uh, only what um, uh, uh, attention the man got. And, of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger is wildly popular. And he's got his wife, Maria, Maria Shriver, one of the Kennedys. He's got her to help him win over the women. The uh, This article by Connie Brook, uh, well, there's some unrepeatable things that he says to women. He he does seem to be quite crass. Someone I know said, oh, that's just Austrian. I said, no, no, it's just, it's just disgusting. But uh, I sometimes wonder, uh, can it be true that we get the leaders we deserve? Uh, do we project onto these people? I think of the Greeks and their demigods, the people they chose to idealize and worship, you know. Uh, their Zeus and their Apollo, and, you know, all the archetypes or stereotypes, whatever you call them. Uh, can it be that uh, we, well, I won't say we, I will say that a majority of U.S. citizens seek leaders that appeal to their worst instincts, their baser instincts, their selfishness. There's a new word. I mentioned it last week, and I hardly had time to talk about it. Uh, my friend Paul wrote me a letter, and he said he'd found the perfect word for, for now. 
It's a word that is defined as the rule of the state by its worst citizens. Now, I've never come across this word before, and I love it. It's in the uh, Ox. It's in my Oxford dictionary, and it's called it's cockistocracy. That's the only way I can think of to pronounce it. It's K's, K A, K I S, T O C R A C Y. Cockistocracy, the rule of the state by its worst citizens. I wonder if that has anything to do with caca. In any case, that's what it is, folks. Let's hope. Let's hope that the socio-political tide is turning. Uh, I see lots of, lots of signs, lots of hopeful, fruitful signs this summer. We've got dozens of books uh, pouring out, revealing uh, corruption at the top. Yes, whistleblower type books. Uh, people who are in the system, people speaking out, not just uh, lefties, but uh, Republicans who don't like the way things are going. And there's a long list of documentary films getting distribution. Michael Moore's Fahrenheit 9-11 is a hit. It's gone through the roof, made millions, and uh, oh, some elitists are questioning the film. I I think I will just call Michael Moore a working class hero at this point and hope that he doesn't uh hope that he doesn't go on to greater things but <laughs> stays with the people. Anyway, Fahrenheit nine eleven is a blockbuster. Big surprise to everyone. Uh I remember thinking when I uh first saw the fog of war that there might be a trend, you know. Uh I think of the fog of war as a breakthrough film because it was Robert McNamara who was doing the mea culpa. It's his historical confession uh, about Vietnam, about, uh, let's call it uh, the catastrophe of Vietnam. And uh, he didn't really say he was sorry, but uh, anyway, there's another one, another documentary called The Control Room. It's all about the amazing fact that the Arab world, too, has a media culture. Guess what? Gee whiz. There are other world views. There's something beyond CNN. Tell me about it. A free press. That's where it all begins, folks. That's the name of the game. And there's another documentary out called The Corporation. I know a lot of teachers who are assigning this one. Uh, I think that's okay. Corporations deserve an exhaustive, detailed study. I mean, I'm so stupid, I still do not understand how a corporation can have the same legal rights a living person has. I mean, this is ridiculous. People eventually die, and that's the end of it. But I guess a corporation can be immortal. Anyway... Uh, this documentary, The Corporation, is a must for students of economics, of history, political science. All the stuff that defines modern life. I tell you, it's enough to make a Republican cry. Uh, if you can't get to the movie house, you might check cable for a 1997 documentary called Chile, Obstinate Memory, directed by Patricio Guzman and... Uh, it's one of the few films that's 
brought tears to my eyes. It made me feel ashamed of North Americans. I know it's a cliche to say that Latin Americans express their emotions more freely than we do here in the U.S. of A., but I do have to say that the culture of cruelty has taken a toll in recent decades. We're observing the death of the heart in most quarters. Yes, yes, callousness has been made respectable. Not just by Ronald Reagan, but by those people who, um, what is it, had a similar psychological set. Let's face it, uh, it takes followers to make leaders. I've been wondering lately what would happen if some of the folks in Congress began to weep. It's an interesting thought. Uh, okay, another documentary, throw in Wigstock, documentary about drag queens. It is to die for, folks. Uh, I watched it again last night because it has RuPaul, you know. It's in Greenwich Village. You know, it's one of those um, cotton candy hairdo things. The Purple Pleasures of the Age of Aquarius. It's a celebration of gay culture. <laughs> I'm very fond of Mistress Formica. I don't know. I just love the wild theatrical nonsense Uh I hope you heard Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz this noon on uh, C.S. Song's program Against the Grain. She had some severe things to say about Ronald Reagan. Yes, since 1964. I can remember the rage I felt. Uh, yes, when he began breaking every social contract we'd had, I kept thinking... The spirit of selfishness is alive in the land, yes. Uh, civilization is for sissies, folks. <laughs> yes, so let's get out there. <laughs> Join the robber barons, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Let me take a look here at the long article on Reagan. Uh, let's see, I'm running short of time, and I had two things. Oh, let's wait a minute on Reagan. I just got my... my uh, copy of Bill Clinton's book, and I've only read a couple of chapters. Uh, let me let me just read you one snippet. One little snippet here. Uh, in 1993, on Father's Day, my first day as president, the Washington Post ran a long investigative story on my father. That's his biological father, Bill Blythe. It was followed over the next two months by other investigative pieces by Associated Press and many smaller papers. The stories confirmed the things my mother and I knew. They also turned up a lot we didn't know, including the fact that my father had probably been married three times before he met mother and apparently had at least two more children. Now, Bill Blythe, the biological father of Bill Clinton, uh, was killed in a car wreck when he was 28. Things really are different in Arkansas. Anyway, he goes on to give you a lot of details about these two uh, half-siblings. Yes, he looks like his half-brother here, yes. Then there's Sharon. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I'm not going to give you all the details. For that, you have to buy the book. Bill Clinton is down at Cody's Bookstore this noon. I imagine he's gone by now, folks. Don't try to get there today. He was down signing books right here in Berkeley, and tonight he's doing a fundraiser somewhere. I'm sure you can get that information uh, if you make a few phone calls. Indeed, My Life by Bill Clinton. <laughs> and and I have uh, 
I have a wonderful book just sent to me by a friend. Uh, the other day I was talking about a book by Phyllis Chesler called About Men. And uh, a listener went out and Xeroxed the only copy she could find. She said it was hard to find. Phyllis Chesler's About Men. And I've been getting back into it. I want to spend uh, a half hour on it. I hope next Tuesday or soon anyway. And I'm just going to open it up and read you this page that struck me because I've been uh, I've been having nightmares about this uh, this business of beheading and torture and chopping up of people around the world. There's a picture here of Francisco Goya's, uh, uh, well, one one of the horrific pictures of maimed and uh, uh, dismembered people during war. Wonderful heroism against dead men, she writes. The mutilation after death of men by men is a common wartime practice. It maddened Goya. But even he, master of gruesome detail, could not bring himself to reveal graphically the sexual castration of men by men. Certainly it is implied, but the missing genitalia are nowhere to be seen. The severed head retains unbearable Spanish dignity, mute, proud, eyes closed to the landscape of male savagery. Yes, we must be grand and and uh, warrior-like even in death. And then she goes on, Phyllis Chester goes on to write, men, but men tell me that war is hell and that heroic warriors, heroic brothers no longer exist. I believe them. For example, heroes have always needed to leave home for at least 20 years. <laughs> yes, yes. Ah, oh, Ulysses, yes. Where could a hero go today that is not home? There are Pepsi-Cola signs in every desert, every valley, every city of the world. Dollar signs in the hearts of all men. Now we are one tribe at war with itself. Yes, that's it. I think Bill Clinton has caught that. He is a man who acknowledges that he is at war with himself, that his struggles are within. Uh, so many women poets uh, write about the war within. They say, let me, uh, what is that, uh, Marion Moore, she says, there never was a war that was not inward. And other poets have written, you know, let me, let me win the war that is within myself, uh, I don't know why this is so hard an idea to grasp. Uh, surely uh, modern psychology has taught us all these things. Now, I have in front of me a wonderful profile of Bill Clinton uh, from the New Yorker of October 16th, 2000. Look that up. I wish I had time to read some of it to you. Check your local Berkeley Daily Planet. UC professor joins 47 Nobel laureates for Carey. I'm 77 now, said UCB professor Donald Glazer. Uh, this is important, yes. Both as a citizen and a scientist, I'm horrified at Bush's attitude towards stem cell research. Anyway, this goes on uh, to give us a profile of a local professor who has, together with 47 other Nobel laureates, 
Oh, oh sent, uh, yes, um, sent a letter. <laughs> the present administration, he says, to put it politely, is leading us in the wrong direction. <laughs> he says that uh, he stretched himself financially, and he's uh, a signator of a passionate plea on behalf of the Democratic candidate. Check your Berkeley Daily Planet for this one. And uh, next week, I think we can do more either on uh, Bill Clinton's biography or Phyllis Chesler's About Men. I'll be back on the air Thursday morning at 8.20. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rules. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Are you tired of the Matrix? The movie? No. Not the movie, but the one you're living in. If so, then hang out with your friends at The Full Circle. What's The Full Circle? Full Circle is a radio show written, produced, and directed by apprentices right here at KPFA. We'll bring you everything from the obscure to the obvious, the hidden and the blatant, as well as all things in between. So be informed. Hear about your world community every Friday night from 7 to 8 p.m., on 94.1 FM, where we'll serve you 